I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. Last month, Hurricane Florence walloped parts of North Carolina. According to the Weather Channel, it was the wettest tropical storm to ever hit the Tar Heel State. So how did the restaurant industry respond? Some helped FEMA weather the storm, while others got to work feeding people on the ground. We just walked in and said, we know how to cook, what can we do? They said, I need you guys to just cook 150 pork loins, and we were just like, uh, okay. (laughs) Now the attention needs to be on Florence's long-term effect on North Carolina's farming community. The general mood of farmers is one of certainly resilience and almost feels like it's the normal course of business to just get hit by a gigantic hurricane and need to just keep on going. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's program is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working and event space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I ardently hope that every single one of them is listening to Tech Bites, the weekly podcast where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today, we're actually talking about food tech, which is exciting because we talk a lot about software platforms and digital apps and things like that. And today, we have world-famous chef Marco Canora talking about some fancy patent-pending technology at his bone broth shop, Brodo. It might sound counterintuitive because making delicious bone broth is kind of very low-tech and a simple process, but serving it perfectly every time throughout the course of a day is a little bit of a different challenge. So we're going to find out what he's doing up there. But before we do that, we are going to do like we always do. We're going to go around and meet everyone in the shipping container and talk about apps. So Marco, good morning. How do you do? Thank you for coming out. Thanks for having me. A little bit of a cool fall day. It's definitely a a bone broth kind of day. It sure is. (laughs) Now, I see you taking a look at your smartphone there. Do you have an app that you really like right now? Uh, well, Old you know, favorite? You know, the podcast app. Of course. That comes with the phone. Um, you know, admittedly, uh, Uber and Instagram are definitely on my main page. Um, I recently moved out of the city, so I have the MTA e-ticket app. Does that work it, well? It works really well. Um, so I'm I'm really loving that these days, uh, and then the P, you know the POS app for for the broth shops, uh, Toast is our POS system. They have an app, so it's really kind of nice. You can see what's going on real time now, in all the shops. When you your your first restaurant and your full service well known restaurant is Hearth in the East Village, and you opened that in 2003. Yep. You didn't have apps for POS back then, did you? <laughs> Absolutely not. The, well, the Micros, was, Micros was the only game in town. Um, they had kind of had a monopoly on it, and uh, there was no apps connected to it, no. Well, the smartphone came on the scene in 2007? I think something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Yeah. 
Has, is having your POS as an app on your phone changed your life? Has it changed my life? Uh, I think that would probably be overstating it. Okay. Um, it's certainly a nice thing to have. You know, it's like knowledge is power, and it's always nice to have real-time knowledge uh, in your businesses. But um, no, I don't think it's changed my life. You know, I, I one of the things I love about the restaurant business and now the broth business is like, it's kind of old world, you know, it's like we cook soulful food and make soulful things and hand them to real humans. Um, and I, and I kind of love that about it. And it's like, as much as I, I am a bit of a Luddite and, but I don't mind, uh, progression and evolution. However, I do want to keep it out of, um, out of the kitchen. Okay. Fair enough. Well, somebody who's also kind of keeping technology out of the control booth in an interesting way is our engineer, Noam Asban. How are you this morning? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So, um, you know, regular faithful listeners who I love, every single one of you, will (laughs) recall having met Noam for the first time, I believe about two weeks ago, right? When you first started engineering. And when I asked Noam what his favorite app was, Noam said... I, I got old Flippy, old Flippy right here. He has a flip phone. He's never, ever had a smartphone ever <laughs> in his it. entire life. He's riding a flip phone Flippy. since back in the day. Nicely done, Flippy. To the end, till they pried out of my cold, dead hands. Oh, so, and every time I think about this, I get a little bit of flip phone envy because <laughs> I just want to go and, and get one and get rid of my smartphone some days, says the woman who hosts the, the tech, tech podcast. Show. Right, right. <laughs> But no, so I've been thinking on and off slightly obsessively about the fact that you have a flip phone. And I have to ask you, because you actually don't have apps on your phone, but how do you live in the world of social media? So How do I, you do Instagram? Right. So I, I use it on my computer. Now, Facebook and Twitter on the computer are very easy. I like Instagram, uh, but if I want to post to Instagram, I need to go into Safari have and this is something on like the the menu for what you can do with safari it's like a developer mode and have safari mimic that it's in like acting like a phone or a tablet really like that then i can upload so Um, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a hack for instagram if you want to do it on your computer now here's the sad instagram story so i was with somebody (laughs) a couple months ago and we were looking at uh, Instagram stories, and I learned on her phone that if you look at somebody's Instagram stories, they can see that you have done that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I've never posted an Instagram story. Uh, You can't see that from the computer. I guess I've never posted a story, so I never knew that. I thought it was, like, anonymous, so I didn't realize that, like, ex-girlfriends of mine could see busted completely busted right like wow very awkward to realize that they realized i was looking at their cat photos creepy stalker right i mean we all do this but do we do we all do this well we we should have (laughs) that as another episode (laughs) because i i as an anthropologist i have a lot of thoughts about the fact that it is interesting that there is a lot of behavior 
that we stigmatize and are embarrassed about, but that almost everybody does. Yes. Like looking up. And now we all know. And now we all know. But it's you the know, transparency I would have waited life. a little while after the breakup uh, to look at cat photos if I'd have known she was going to know. But uh, that's 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 one of the perils of a flip phone. They don't warn you about at the store. Okay, so to recap, a if you used to date Gnome, he is stalking you on Instagram <laughs> and on social media. Number one. <laughs> number two, if you want to use Instagram but don't have a smartphone, go to Safari, have it pretend you're a phone, and do that hack. That's great. Great hack. Great hack. Great hack. You know, maybe we will do maybe we will do a show about that. I'm fascinated by how people live without a smartphone. I'm also Marco, maybe you know somebody. I'm desperate to find a restaurant that is not using any of the tech who still does That's phone calls one. with a reservation book. I would love to find somebody who's not on any of the online reservation systems who still has right. the big red book with the pencil. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. It would be fascinating to find somebody who's sort of outside the firewall I mean, and we've see been, how they function. Yeah. We've been talking about getting rid of the, you know, the, somebody sitting there picking up the phone every day as the phone rings. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause that's a, you know, that's an hourly position and yes, and, you know, 15 bucks an hour is no joke. Nope. And um, trying to figure out ways to, like, be more cost-effective and efficient. And one of the things on the chopping block may be, like, getting rid of a human picking up the phone. I like to call restaurants, though. I know. I people, do. And I that's why do. we've been resistant. And we like to say hello and connect. Um, and you realize this so, is the total antithesis to what you just said a few moments ago. How do you mean? When you said about the technology and the people and... Well, no, I said I want to keep it out of my kitchen. So, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I I want to... I I love it all around the business. And I think there's so many opportunities and you need to grow and and take advantage of the opportunities that tech is offering our industry. But I guess my point is, is like, when you're in the... As a cook, I want the tool to be a knife and fire and a pan and real food. So I want to keep technology out of that piece of my business. Okay, the fair cooking, enough. The cooking piece. Fair enough, which is a nice segue into your cooking business, which we're here to talk about, which is Brodo. Does everybody remember that bone broth didn't always exist and it was a big newfangled thing, even though it's an old newfangled thing? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean... It, it has existed for centuries on every corner of the globe. Um, so, you know, the, it's, it's kind of cool because it's like one foot is planted in a very, very long history. And then the notion of a broth shop and broth as a hot beverage is kind of a newfangled idea. So you opened Brodo in 2014 and you were, you opened the shop officially, but you were doing a window from the restaurant before that, no? Yeah, the original thing was a window out of the back door of the restaurant. Which was probably 2013, because you were doing it no. before you opened the shop, no? No, no, no. 20, no November 2014 was when the window launched. So I think to your point, what do you think the difference was going from, you know, thousand-year-old making... Traditional broth Traditional making. broth making with bone and stock and vegetables to yep. the bone broth trend or you know bone bro- bone broth trademark hmm. <laughs> as an item right 
And I also, side question adjacent to that is, I feel like drinking hot broth as a beverage exists in other cultures and maybe not necessarily America. Yeah, sure. Well, beef tea mm-hmm. was a big thing in the UK mm-hmm. uh, a while ago. I don't. I think it's kind of fallen out of favor, but I'm sure it's coming back now. Um, there's plenty of history around the world of people drinking broth. I mean, so many broth-based cultures. Uh, I think Asia. Yeah, Asia is huge. <laughs> um, so it's certainly been around for a long time. Um, and, you know, what happened to it? Well... I guess it's a common theme. It's like, you know, food manufacturing uh, in this country kind of grabbed hold of something and turned it into something that was more efficient, more convenient, figure out a way to do it cheaply. So you're talking about canned Yeah, put it on a supermarket shelf. Bouillon cubes. Sure. Bouillon cubes, shelf stability, uh, throw it into a can, um, really reformulate it, uh, come up with some... You know, they're all all this technology to try to, you know, make it easier, make it more convenient. And, you know, what we're really excited about today is like this notion of trying to, you know, keep the convenience, but not at the sacrifice of the nourishing values of it and the taste of it. Because frankly, um, a lot of the broths that you take off the shelf of a supermarket um, you don't want to drink it in a cup by itself. Nope. It doesn't it taste just, like much, actually. No, it tastes like them. a lot of them taste like water and they have like salt. Bare, salt and they have weird ingredients and they're not boiling bones and there's like one gram of protein and, you know, there's a lot wrong with it, in my opinion. Hence the Brodo business. So, yeah. you know, I mean, just very quickly, just so. We can refresh people's memory, but making bone broth is a fairly simple, non-technical process. And I want people to understand sort of the base simplicity of it, because then it's a very interesting counterintuitive leap to how something so simple requires something that has a patent to serve it over the course of a day. Yeah, it really is interesting. Really quickly, bone broth. How do you make it? So, you know, you throw a bunch of bones into a pot. And you cover it with water and you cook it for a really long time. Um, At some stage of that cooking, you add whatever you want. Usually, you know, classically, it's what they call mirepoix vegetables. So carrot, celery, onion, bay leaf, peppercorns. That's what we do. Um, And it's a fair amount of fresh, organic vegetables that we're adding to these pots. Um, And, you know, so listen, it's, it's a very long cook time, 18 to 24 hours of cooking. Um, very low yields because you fill up the pot with stuff and then you cover it with water and, you know, you fill up a, 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 a drinking glass with crushed ice and cover it with water. There's not a lot of water in there. Um, so it's the same kind of concept. So the yields are really low. The cook times are really high and guess what the world of food manufacturing doesn't like things with long cook times and low yields because it's not conducive to, Margin, making money. Yeah, to making money. Um, so, you know, we have our challenges because that's the reality of what we do today. And I'll never change that because I'll just, I just, if we can't figure out a way to continue to make it the way we're making it and build a business, then I'll opt out because I don't, you know, I feel like it's kind of criminal what's happened to something that has so much flavor and so much nourishment that can be so convenient. 
And we are hell bent on figuring out a way to make this work and not sacrifice the flavor and the and the and the nourishment of it. So. So it takes you about two days to make it. I'm assuming then you sort of just like strain it out and it becomes beautiful and. Yeah, and then we freeze it, which is like another old traditional. You know, I love the notion of frozen food. I think frozen food is gonna is having a renaissance right now. Um, I think, you know, there's so much opportunity in frozen. Uh, to minimize are... waste and and there's convenience in it and sure there's there's costs associated to it, but um, you know we've sacrificed too much over the years for convenience and I think our health is kind of proving that out. So you have this beautiful bone broth that you've made, and it seems like it would be such an easy idea just to keep the pot simmering or to keep <laughs> it warm or to keep mm. it in a crock pot or one of those even, you know, I think of them as the tea thermos or the, the coffee pump, thermos, the, pump, the pump thing, yep. and just serve it to people throughout the course of the day. I mean, to me, right. that would be the first, the first things that I would think of, but you're going to tell me why all of those are bad ideas. Well, I mean, we've, lear- <laughs> we've learned the hard way, right? I mean, when, uh, when I launched out of the window... It was a pump pot, and I had the luxury of having a restaurant attached to it. So I would literally have a bunch of pots on the stove that pissed my cooks off all the time because it was always in their way, and they need had to do work. And it was, you know, that was tough. It was like too bad. Deal with it. Um, and I would periodically fill up my two-liter pump pot. We had three, you know, we had chicken, beef, and hearth broth, um, which is a mix of of bones, and. Uh, and then the window got busy, and then I had to have two two liters of each. So I had six two liters. And then it got really busy, and then I had to have three two liters. And I was like, this is a nightmare. Um, and then we got really large Fetcos, and that was like the big technological leap in the early days of Brodo. Explain um, what that is for so people it was, who don't it's know. Just, it's, basically, it's basically a larger version of a pump pot. It's like what you see at coffee shops. It's like... They're, they're uh, you know, they have a lot of thermal ability to keep something hot for a long time, and they're much larger in size. So we, we got to three-gallon size wow. Fetcos. Um, and that was a game changer, and that was great. Um, but then there's problems with what we call hot holding as well, because as good as they are, if you're not super busy and burning through them, you know, the temperature goes down and we need a consistent temperature. So hot holding was problematic. And then the next, the 2.0 iteration of our operating model was let's put a spigoted pot on top of an induction burner. So you maintain a precise temperature. Yeah, and set the induction burner and like, and that you call rethermalize. So it's just like you're holding it hot, which was great, except for the fact that when you hold something hot for a long time, it changes the structure of it, right? Is it so technically the, still cooking? Is well, it, I mean, it is. What's, the, the, difference, sugar, what's so, the difference between holding something hot and cooking it? Correct. So if you heat it and put it in a thermos, then you're not continuing to cook it. Actually, it's, gonna, it's, getting, it's getting cooler and cooler and cooler over time because that, that energy is being held in there, but it's seeping out. But with the pot on a burner model, it's like constant, there's energy going into it, so it's cooking, right? Um, And we would do it with a lid, and it would be really low, and we'd have a lid, so there wasn't like massive evaporation. But the fact that, you know, 
everything has sugar in it. Like bones have sugar. Everything has some level of sugar in it, especially mirepoix vegetables, carrot, celery, and onion. So while natural sugar, yeah, we're talking so, about natural sugar, of course, mm-hmm. yeah. And while the broth is like so, is very very low carb, and we often say no sugar because the only sugar is what seeps out of the mirepoix, and it's very minimal. However, it's enough to, as it cooks, it changes, right? Like sugar caramelizes. So our broths would get darker and darker and darker, and they would inevitably change. And it is a seasonal business. So, you know, in June, July, and August, when that pot would sit on the burner all day, um, because we weren't burning through it and constantly refilling it. Right, because when it's... 94 degrees and yeah. 87% humidity in New York City. People aren't right. thinking about <laughs> right. having a big steaming Although, cup of bone broth. Yeah, we're on a mission to change that, right? We often, well, actually, it'd probably we often be talk good about... for you and cool you down. And exactly. I'm sure there's some sort of... Yeah, on the equator, a lot of people drink yes, you know, hot things to, that, right? to cool them mm-hmm. down. So that's a, that's a big lift for us, but uh, we keep trying. Um, so, you know, hot holding is a problem and... Uh, you know, heating it on an induction burner in a pot was a problem too. Um, and we kind of finally feel like we figured something out that's really going to help us. Which is so it's a patent pending. Well, yeah, we're, we're actually in partnership with a guy who, you know, it's his patent and it's amazing what he's been doing. And, um, yeah, so it's a hot tap system. And the beautiful thing is it holds the broth cold, you know, under 38 degrees in that safe zone and then it heats it on demand that's amazing to like 100 and to wherever we want it to heat to um and it is amazing it's a game changer because we're not you know we don't we don't have to heat up the broth in the morning and we don't have to cool it down at night um it makes it makes our operations so much safer for our staff which is which has been a huge concern of mine because, you know, heating up broth and pouring it into a FETCO or just, it's dangerous, right? Yes. And I didn't, I didn't love that. Um, and, you know, people have over the years gotten burned and it's just, it's problematic. Um, so that's gone and now it's so safe. And the other, number two on most important things about it is so consistent. So for our customers, it's like, you know, we don't have to worry about concentration. We don't need to worry about caramelization of sugar. And that broth is delivered the same. It's just consistent and high quality every single time. And it's like it allows me as a chef to like sleep at night because I'm not worried about this broth like overcooking or concentrating. And it's just the operational ease that it provides us is pretty extraordinary. That is amazing. And We are going to learn more about this and why all these things are important. As soon as we come back from our break, did you know that Heritage Radio is a 501c3 nonprofit? Did you know we keep the lights on and the mics hot exclusively out of the generosity of our members and listeners like you, grants, and our underwriters like this amazing, amazing company? Stay with us. One Hundred Bogart has made much progress over the past year since their grand opening. They are a growing community of professional freelancers, entrepreneurs, and startups. 
Their dedicated team guarantees you receive a productive and worry-free work environment. 100 Bogart is currently filling up their two-person to 12-person private offices. The spacious pop-up gallery, premier rooftop, and brand new full floor with terrace are available for your next event. Podcast rooms, conference rooms, and meeting spaces are also available for booking. 100 Bogart hosts events like art exhibitions, pop-up stores, product launches, and fashion shows. Heritage Radio Network is a proud member of the 100 Bogart community and often holds events in the building. Visit 100bogart.com to schedule a tour and learn more. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly podcast where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is a patented hot and cold tap system for broth, bone broth, up at Brodo, which is the bone broth restaurant chain concept? Broth shop. Broth shop. Yep. From... Chef Marco Canora, if you are interested in finding out more about Brodo, visit them online at brodo.com. You can follow them on social media, on Twitter at BrodoNYC, and on Instagram at Brodo. It is the uh, brainchild culinary product of Marco Canora. You might have heard of his original famous East Village spot called Hearth. You can visit them at restauranthearth.com. Follow them on Twitter at HearthNYC and on Instagram at HearthRestaurant. So there was a little window on the side of Hearth where the bone broth business started. Now they have locations all around New York City. They sell it frozen. You can get it shipped to you, Yeah, which is pretty amazing. So the first half of the show we were talking about while making bone broth is a pretty simple, easy, low-tech kind of food item. Serving it is a challenge, and serving it consistently hot and consistently the same product without any evaporations, reductions, overcooking was really a challenge. So you landed with a quite new patented tap system where it stores it cold and then it delivers it hot. Yep, on demand. On demand. That's amazing. Can you tell us, without revealing any secrets, how it kind of works? (laughs) I can't tell you much. It's a pretty simple system, though. Um, but, you know, the cold part is kind of cool as well. Is it like a giant, are they giant tanks or something like that, that you fill and then it holds it? or is it? Yeah, it looks just like a kegerator kind of system. Okay. Um, and, you know, they plug in and they run on electricity. Um, but the cold part was like fascinating because like we're, we're trying to solve for this problem with hot dispensing. And then we realized, wow, we can cold dispense it, which allows us to do a lot of cool things as well. You know, one of them being we can fill, rather than taking a frozen quart that we have in the freezer now, we can dispense into glass um, and you take it home and put it in your fridge. And once you have thawed out broth in your fridge, it's like it's so much easier to cook with and it's easier to manage and you could use it in your smoothies and you could deglaze pans with it. You could heat it up as you want it. And obviously you could see how much more convenient and easy that is than you know, opening up your freezer and staring at a frozen 30-ounce quart, right? There's some uh, challenges in that. Um, First so, of all, storing a 30-ounce quart in your freezer. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. 
Um, so, you know, it's not a, you know, it's the hot is great, but the cold is great as well. It allowed us to do uh, broth-based smoothies this summer. Um, and yeah, we're just super excited by it all. And there is a tradition of having cold consommé. You know, in the French tradition, there's a lot of cold consommé-based dishes. Yeah, yeah. I think also, I haven't had it in a long time, but when I was younger, I really liked it. And it was considered very exotic in my house, was the um, like the clam amato and the beef amato, sure. where it was either clam broth and tomato juice or beef broth and tomato juice. And they sure. were these very savory, yeah, savory bull's drinks. Bull's blood, uh, Bloody Mary's. Well, I wasn't Saturday drinking morning. Bloody Mary's when I was younger, right. but well. it was like, you know. <laughs> we served those at hearth. But um, not to children. You know, broth, uh, you know, broth has a lot of glutamate, which is pretty much the G in MSG. So I'd like to say it, it kind of makes everything taste better. You is know? that umami? Yeah, totally. Is glutamate umami? Absolutely. It's what sticks to the outside of kelp and it's what makes everything taste good. And this is like... It's natural form of it, you know, boiling boiling bones for a long time. You get that umami and that glutamate, and then you could put it into anything and make it better. Cook some rice or cook some quinoa or whatever. Whatever you cook, it's like broth is perfect with it. It's like the forgotten staple. Yeah, I think so. Well, maybe because people don't have bones and they don't do that kind of long, slow cooking quite anymore. It's all about, right. you know, the super magic instant pot where you can have, you yeah. know, a, like a, a stew which used to take you three days, can now take you 45 minutes. Yeah. Our obsession with convenience is going to kill us, I think. That's an interesting statement. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's gotten us, you know, whatever around. It's bold. You know, listen, in the world of food, it's like convenience is not always your friend. We like to think that we could figure out a way to hold on to the nourishing traditional values of, you know, broth and deliver them and make it convenient, but, you know, um, the more I look at the food space, the more I realize that, you know, convenience is not always a great thing, and it often gets in the way of, uh, of nourishment. So we had a, Marco and I had a really long, uh, interesting conversation before the show to sort of get ready for this show, and it meandered through a lot of different ideas, I think, that one conversation could have provided the blueprint for maybe a half a dozen shows. Yeah, no doubt. But one of the things that we talked about, and I think, you know, just the story of, you know, Brodo and your your new hot and cold tap system, you talk about not wanting certain kinds of technology in your kitchen. Cooking is a very, in many ways, low-tech endeavor. But at some point, technology comes into play to make it easier, to make it better, to make it deliverable, to make it serviceable. Where do you think the, the perfect intersection is? What do you think the perfect balance is? Are we there? Have we gone more to one side? Are you trying to hold the line against the robots? Are you... You know, listen, I, I, I often talk about cooking as one of the things we can do as humans that allow us to use all of our senses. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know... While artificial intelligence and computers have such capabilities, like nuance and and palate and touch and feel are things that are incredibly challenging for artificial intelligence. And I really believe that, you know, sure, you can make a vending machine that could figure out a way to stretch pizza and like put it in an oven and 
you know, and they're doing it. You know, there's the salad place in, in Massachusetts and you're seeing it all over the place. But ultimately... Not at Roberta's. No pizza at robots Roberta's. here. Exactly. We have full-on live thank, people and live fire making the pizzas. Thank goodness. I love that. Um, and ultimately, my, my real hope is that uh, over time, we will learn as consumers to value made from scratch, made from humans, and we'll actually be able to put the premium price tag on these things that frankly, I believe they should have, right? So, so I think ultimately technology will uh, increase the awareness of the value of hand-touched um, as we progress down this road where we don't know where we're going. Hand-touched, that's an interesting point of differentiation. Yeah, and I love it. Made, by, made, made from scratch, you know, with your hands. Um, made by I think, people, yeah, not made of by people, people. Exactly. by people. I think there's a real opportunity there and something that's meaningful. And I think as we, as we get deeper into AI, there's going to be more value placed on that is my hope. Is your hope. So you're not replaced by the MC 1000. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, again, like do it where, do it where it makes sense and, and, and don't do it uh, where I believe it doesn't make sense. And I think cooking is one of those places where it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's like, you know, products and foodstuffs, um, they change so much. I mean, you know, uh, an onion isn't an onion isn't an onion. I mean, we're not talking about widgets. We're talking about things that were living at one time that were a product of soil and nature. nature. Yeah, you know, weather and soil and terroir and... These things create, you know, everything's different every time and you have to put your brain on it and you have to use your senses. And I don't know, you could probably speak to this better than I, but like AI is not there yet and I'm not sure how they will ever be able to create an algorithm to do some of the things that we do with our senses. I think AI will only be able to calculate or evaluate or make those decisions if it is dealing with something that we can measure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think pastry is a good example or sugar, you know, sugar content. There is a little instrument, I believe it's called a spectrometer Spe yep. that pastry chefs use quite frequently to check the sugar levels of things. Sure. Because as Marco expressed earlier in the show, sugar plays an important role in just about every kind of cooking because of the chemical properties and the way they change over the temperature spectrum. So a pastry chef is using a spectrometer, which is kind of like a thermometer. You put it into something and it'll give you a readout on the percentage of sugar content. And so you know if you are making, you know, ice cream or pulled sugar or jam or a pie filling or chocolate, you need a certain percentage of sugar. Too much it goes one way, too right. little, maybe it won't stand up or gel. If a you know, computer can read that also, then it can probably make that judgment. Sure. Can you teach a, a, a robot or a computer to analyze the gluten content of a pizza dough to determine if it needs more water or not right. because or it's got perfect over too much egg. or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's some actual chemical property that you could measure in each instance. Mm -hmm but you would have to be able to measure it 
for the computer to be able to recognize it. Right. And I don't know if those things are measurable. Yeah, I don't either. But But I think that's what it boils down to. And my total armchair, not scientific. It makes perfect sense. Liberal arts. Yeah. (laughs) If you could measure it and put a number to it, then AI could figure out a way. Because right now in the restaurant industry, people are chasing, the industry is chasing numbers and chasing data, but primarily on the diner side and the business side to figure out, you know, how much business are we doing between three and five? How much business do we do when it rains? Mm -hmm. How much business do we do over the phone or not or delivery or people? And how can we take that data Data, and amortize it into more money? Yeah. Um, So it's a lot. I mean, data is increasingly running the restaurant industry, but from a very business consumer side point of view. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything right now, right? Well, you got toast on your phone. Yeah. Accumulating data and then analyzing that data and then optimizing it online to figure out a way to drive people's eyeballs to what it is you're trying to sell. Right. Mm -hmm. That is like the ultimate game that everyone's playing right now. So fascinating. But it's nice to also have people paying attention to the actual food part that people are eating when they get to the restaurant i mean it's so it feels so good for the soul you know to like put down put down the numbers and like touch some food like Mm -hmm. i can't i can't tell you how satisfying it is to cook a meal for my girls or it's just it's an amazing process we need more of it in our lives so you make the bone broth it takes you a couple days you still do it exactly the same way it's probably almost a borderline medieval recipe or something like that just (laughs) because it probably hasn't changed since you know i mean fire is one of the original cooking yeah heat heat, water and bones i love it so you have this technology that then allows you to serve it in a perfect state how has that technology going to how is that technology going to impact your very low-tech bone broth business well, listen, it's like it's so challenging to make viable businesses in brick and mortar today. So it just allows me to have a smaller footprint. It allows me to have a more consistent product, an easier operating manual. Um, it's just it simplifies things in a way that I think is a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, and that's what we're trying to leverage and like pop up, you know, again, like I think there's a there's a soulfulness and a realness to a hot cup of broth that really speaks to me and and we're trying to leverage that. Um, I think as we become more disconnected, I think, you know, taking moments to sip on a soulful cup of broth is going to like feed us in a way that I think we kind of need as, as we evolve in this crazy AI world that we're about to embark upon. And, um, you know, we really, I want to use the broth shop to try to build community um, and be, you know, be a hub and, and make connections and provide soulful things. Um, because I feel like as connected as we all think we are, like, I think that there isn't a whole lot of like real connection. Well, the interesting thing is even though we live in a, you know, I'm making air quotes, more connected world, right. that connection opposite. is very solitary. It's totally. very, um, Sometimes it's very passive. It's very one way. I mean, to point earlier at the top of the show, Gnome, who's watching the ex-girlfriend's <laughs> cat videos, thinks he's doing it in a vacuum and no one can see him. Right. And he, you know, his ex-girlfriend can see that he watched it, but they're not actually communicating together. 
it's very separate. Yep. It's you know sort of like the Chinese walls and everything's compartmentalized. So while we are more connected in some ways, much of what we do in the digital world is very solitary and yeah. we're very isolated. Um, and I think to point, coming together and, and sharing food is always something um, that I think people enjoy that is very low tech, but maybe more and more needed. Yeah, just the other day at the West Village shop, um, a guy came, you know, walked up Hudson and uh, it was like middle of the afternoon and he was like, yeah, I just needed to just needed to get out into the air and get away from my computer. And, you know, and he's like, I love walking up here and getting a cup of broth. And he's like, it feels so good. And and it's just like, yes, exactly. You know, get get out, take a walk, go make a connection, have a transaction with another human um, and drink a soulful kind of nourishing cup of broth. So we are getting close to running out of time. But before we go, I have I have two last questions that I do want to ask you about this. So as a business owner, as a restaurant owner, labor, people mm. is one of the most important, biggest costs of, of running a business. Your amazing hot and cold tap system allows you to sort of shrink your footprint and things like that. So tell mm -hmm. me, does that make it a situation where you hire less people or does it make it a situation where actually because less people need to work on it, you get to hire more people and do more business? So it's really, there is that question of about course, are the robots taking the jobs, the jobs from course. people and what's happening? And of course, no as a business owner, you want efficiencies and you want to be profitable so you can, you know. I also, I also care about building a community within our company and having connection as well. So it is tricky. Um, I do, I, you know, it's like, I do believe that the hospitality industry is about people and connecting with people and finding good leaders and all that stuff. Um, you know, it's still TBD in terms of, uh, how efficient will it make the shops? I mean, this is all relatively new, but pretty much our shops, you know, they operate with just a few people. So I don't think it's going to make it less people. I mean, Does you know, it during... During the super busy months, uh, we would sometimes have a third person because we'd always be backing up with the hot pots and being ahead of that. And it does mitigate against that. So, you know, with, you know, maybe it will, maybe we will see some savings on the labor side, but it's not going to be dramatic because the shops don't require a lot of labor to begin with. Would it allow you to be more efficient and more profitable and then open more shops? Well, from the safety perspective, yes, we hope it'll help us open more shops because now it's just it's it's not as dangerous as it used to be, and that's a positive thing for growth. Um, you know, because obviously, as you grow, you got to be worried about those sorts of things. Um, uh, and so, yeah, the hope is yes, it'll help us grow. Um, that's the hope. <laughs> well, you are coming in to. Bone broth season for sure. The heat went on in my apartment a couple days ago, which to me is always the sign <laughs> that winter heat. is coming. Yeah, oh. I got that radiator heat. Oh my God. That clanging, hot, dry radiator <laughs> heat, which is great. I'm originally from Hawaii, so I like, I like warm apartments. Right. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely like it above the yeah, recommended 69 degrees. Yeah, so it works out great, for me. Great weather. I'm so glad it finally turned in New York. Mm. Well, the last question that I want to ask you just before we go really quickly, mm -hmm. you know, this is a, a really interesting new piece of technology. And, 
you know, you are an interesting cross-section of, you know, maintaining sort of very uh, traditional non-tech cooking and philosophy in the kitchen, but then at the same time, you know, embracing very, very new tech to run your businesses. Yeah. I mean, an app on your phone, patented delivery systems in the store. What do you think is coming in the next year or two? What do you see forward in terms of technology coming online, technology yeah, you'd like really to see come online, trenching trenching in some old school things that you are going to really try and hold on to hard and fast? Right. Right. Is there anything that's really front of mind, top of mind for you? Um, you know, it depends on if if I go down the the road of a full service restaurant or the or the fast service like well, hot beverage broth shop. Let's stay fast service because that's been the focus of the show. Okay. Um, you know, I, I find it fascinating that the notion of a cup, right? <laughs> like, you know, it's it's so amazing to me that like Starbucks has like some contest going on where they're like, we'll give. $500,000 to whoever can come up with a better cup. Um, and it's kind of interesting to me because it's like, you know, all the paper cups are kind of, there's like plastic involved and like everybody wants technology to design a truly efficient, degradable, you know, that could hold heat and like have a sealable top and like can move around. And, you know, it's something we struggle with, right? It's like, we just got one of these bubble tea sealers, you know, mm -hmm. and we're able to like cover the top. And it was just like such a big thing for us because, you know, everybody wants stuff delivered. So delivering right. hot cups of coffee or hot cups of broth through those delivery platforms is incredibly challenging. It's a whole other show. It's a whole other show, really. <laughs> it's like we need tech innovation around cups. Um so that's something, you know, I, I feel like there's going to be ground made on that. And like there's companies like Starbucks that is like, you know. Somebody please help us. Yeah. Where's NASA? I, exactly. Where's the MIT I mean, come on. kids? We're talking about going to Mars. We can't figure out a cup that doesn't leak. <laughs> and stays hot and won't burn you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Goals. Team goals for exactly. 2019. Build exactly. a better cup. Yep. Well, I want to thank Marco Knorr, the chef and owner of Brodo Bone Broth Company and Hearth Restaurant for coming out to talk to us today. Again, if you want to find one of his bone broth shops, go to brodo.com. If you want to go to Hearth Restaurant, go to restauranthearth.com. All of them are very great, great, delicious ideas. If you want to get tech bites every single day and can't live without it, <laughs> Go to your favorite podcasting platform, subscribe to it, go to iTunes, go to Spotify, go to Stitcher Radio, subscribe, leave us an amazing five-star review. Yes. We love that. <laughs> if you want to hear us live, come back again. We broadcast live out of Roberta's Pizza in our Heritage Radio Network studio every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are engineered by... Gnome Osband. Our theme song is Nomada CPU Track by DJ Uptown Nico. You can find him on Spotify and at your better music venues across New York City. I'm Jennifer Leuzzi, your host and producer, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to Harry.
Bridge Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.